Welcome to the Become Inspired podcast by Life on Time. This is the second series of the Become Inspired podcast, where our aim will remain much the same as the first, giving teachers, parents and students helpful hints and tips to live a fulfilled and meaningful life. We will be speaking to a range of guests from nutrition and psychology to people who are living extraordinary lives and have inspiring stories to share. Hi and welcome to the Life on Time Become Inspired podcast. Today we have Mike Glanville on from My Concern. Uh, We're going to be talking about safeguarding Uh, and yeah, hello Mike, how are you? Hi, John. Yeah, I'm really well. Thanks very much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's great it's to be on. And thanks for the invite. That's all right. I mean, yeah, we we want to cover sort of really critical things. Uh, and I think safeguarding is is one of those things that uh, may may not be something that teachers and uh, schools necessarily enjoy covering. But it's obviously a, a, a super critical part of their responsibility as teachers uh, and as schools so yeah just really important and really interested to get your views on on your business uh sort of your background um we're really interested in actually people's stories behind the business uh and behind why you why people get into these types of things because obviously safeguarding um yeah it, it, for some might sound like a, a bizarre business or a strange or not so much maybe not so much of a fun business to get into, involved yeah. in um so yeah just be really interested to hear about that so we're going to talk about that and hopefully at the end you've got some really good tips and advice uh for some schools and teachers that are listening that may be struggling a little bit with safeguarding issues um and yeah i I guess the first thing is you know why did and how did you get involved in safeguarding yeah i mean it's a bit of a long story (laughs) but um no i was my background is actually in policing so so I was, a, I was in the police for, what, 32 years in total. So I, I joined the police back in 1982, which does seem like an awful long time ago now. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, well, yeah, well, that's about 38 years ago. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't feel like a long time ago. It is a long time ago. Um, yeah, so 1982, I joined as a young, sort of 18 and a half year old police officer um, and in Dorset. So I joined Dorset Police at that age and... And spent then the next 32 years um, with the force. Um, and I ended up as the assistant chief constable in, in Dorset. Um, wow. So, and throughout my career, I'd kind of been heavily involved in uh, child protection work. Uh, and in fact, in the late 80s, um, I was actually a child protection investigation officer for, for two or three years. Um, so I was actually dealing kind of, in fact, I was the first male officer uh, to be trained as a as a child protection investigation investigation officer in Dorset because pre- previously to that it was um, it was kind of seen as a, a job undertaken by women yeah. um, and and partly because you were having to interview very young children um, and uh, doing a lot of work uh, with social services and the other agencies and so on and it was probably just back then it was just a very traditional kind of view of the world um in terms of you know roles and responsibilities in in policing at that time 
but um, and that's changed obviously an awful lot since then. Um, so I've, I've, my first kind of experience really of being really sort of heavily involved in child protection work was at that point. Um, so I was interviewing um, uh, victims uh, who were making allegations or uh, or had made disclosures of quite serious uh, offences um, involving abuse um, and dealing with offenders. You know, dealing with paedophiles and you know other other serious um, abusers. <clears throat> so I did that for two or three years, and then um, I spent I've spent most of my time. Um, in my career on sort of, you know, in, in kind of CID or sort of, you know, related um, departments within policing. Uh, so I did a whole range of things um, and uh, eventually uh, ended up as the head of CID in Dorset. And then I was responsible kind of at a strategic level, I suppose, for a lot of the public protection um, kind of resources in the force. So these right. these are all the kind of units that deal with adult safeguarding, child safeguarding and child protection, um, including online abuse as well. Um, and uh, so, again, very, very involved uh, working with the other agencies, this time at a strategic level. So I was kind of sat on the Dorset um, local children's safeguarding board um, for many years. And I was also um, chairing the local criminal justice board as well. So you know, heavily involved in working with the other agencies, the statutory agencies, that is. Uh, and then eventually, um, when I became the assistant chief constable, um, I kind of then retained some of those responsibilities, but um, with a much broader remit, obviously, across the force. So I was responsible yeah. for all of the kind of operational resources in the county at the time. And I was in that role up until 2012. Uh, wow. So that, that must have been, I mean... You, you know, you, you've you've almost just said a, your career over sort of sixteen years or seventeen years. So, yeah. if I could just dig down a little bit, I mean, that, some of the things that you must have had to have dealt with um, in that in that period of time must have been quite challenging for you at times. Oh, very much so. I mean, I, one of the most difficult things I've ever done is actually for the, when I, I remember the very first interview I had to undertake with a, a very young victim of uh, of a rape case. Uh, the victim was a boy um, who had been abused by his uncle. And, uh, you know, he was only five, six years old at the time. Um, so a horrendous case. Um, and I was, only, I was only young. I mean, I was only in my late 20s. Um, and at that, point, at that point, I was single. I had no children. So it was actually a very, it was quite a It was very, very challenging on a personal level you know, dealing with that kind of yeah. case. It was, um, and the, the, I think the most, the trickiest thing I think for, in you know, professional investigators, police officers, social workers, and so on, is maintaining um, that impartiality when you're involved in um, investigations like that, because you've got, you've got to kind of put your kind of personal feelings really to one side if, you ca if you're able to, and really focus on the evidence and focus on, you know the the professional job you have to do, and I think the re the reason for that is because there are there is likely to be much much better outcomes. I think for the victim when you do that, um, you know, if, rather than yeah. rather than obviously, I mean, it could be quite easy to get emotionally involved, yeah. um, and that was, that would obviously sway, I guess, exactly. your bias or your opinions. Exactly. So. I mean, you can be very passionate about what you do and very committed, and I, you know, I always felt that I was very committed to to, to what I was doing. 
very passionate about what I was doing, but you've got to be very careful to, to kind of rein in the emotions and the, and the personal feelings you might have towards, um, particularly towards, uh, you know, serious, serious offenders. Um, yeah. uh, because ultimately, ultimately you've got a professional job to do and you're doing that job on behalf of the victim and their family. So it's, it's, you know, it's always yeah. to try and keep that at the top of the top of your mind, really. And how did you, obviously you've, you finished at the police and then you've taken all this experience that you've gained and now you've sort of set up a, well, not, not very recently, but I guess eight years ago, you set up a business that is actually specialising in helping schools safeguard their children. Is that correct? It is. And it, to be honest with you, John, it was, it was almost by accident because I, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed my career in the police. And um, it's quite a difficult decision, actually, to leave because I was only 48. I say only 48. To some people, to some people that might seem very old. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to be. Doesn't seem to be that old. No, no. I think I'm, I'm nearing. I'm near, very, very nearing 40 in a few months. So yeah, right. no, that, that doesn't seem that old. No, exactly. So, um, but yeah, I was. I was kind of 48, 49, and um, uh, I was. You know, it was a decision as to whether or not to leave or to go. And I, I, because I joined the police when I was very young, I always felt that I had you know, probably a second career in me and that I probably yeah. wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, so uh, I decided to go at that point, um, set up my own business with a colleague of mine, Martin Baker. And I'll, I'll mention Martin because Martin was the, was the chief constable at the time. So we, we, we kind of worked very closely together over many years in Dorset. Um, Martin's got a very similar background, although he's worked in other forces um, uh, in England and Wales, actually. So he, was, he started life off in the Met and then sort of moved around the country and ended up in Dorset. And um, right. so we worked very closely together and we decided to kind of set up to begin with, it was like consultancy business, and we were providing advice uh, to uh, mainly software companies, um, uh, software companies that were working with law enforcement agencies like police forces, um, and using our experience to advise them on, you know, how to develop their product, essentially. So that's what we did for probably about 18 months. Um, and it, we both happen to be school governors, uh, Martin and I. Martin's a, a school governor at uh, quite a large secondary in Dorchester, here in Dorset. And um, I've been a school governor for many years. <clears throat> and I was the chair of, uh, at the time, chair of governors at a, a primary school in Weymouth. And uh, one day I was asked to go in uh, by the head to help her out with a safeguarding audit. And uh, she wanted to give me feedback on the audit she she carried out and uh, so <clears throat> I went into her office we started talking about their safeguarding process we went through the audit and we we got to the bit of the audit where we were talking about uh, reporting safeguarding concerns and and how the school did that and uh, I mean the simple question for me was well how do you actually record your safeguarding concerns I assume I assume they're on some kind of system are they and with that she reached into her the, the drawer of her, her desk and pulled out this great big red folder, um, which was literally just full of, you know, full of paper and sticky notes and whatnot. And I suppose, you know, coming, coming from a kind of policing background um, where, where literally everything is, is, is digitized. Um, and in fact, the, the, the systems we use to manage that kind of data. Uh, so our intelligence systems, crime recording systems and so on are very, very sophisticated for, for obvious reasons, I think, you know. 
Um, so it, I must admit, it was a bit of a shock, you know, coming across that. Um, and it became fairly obvious from the conversation I had with, with the head teacher, Helen, that uh, most schools were operating in a very similar way. So this was in 20, so this would have been 2013, 2014. Um, so it's not really that long it ago. It isn't is it? actually. I mean, we're only talking sort of six, seven it's, years. It's not very long ago at all. And it was at the time, um, I mean, you, do you know, um, there was a, a very kind of well-known case, Daniel Pelker, um, who was a, no, a six, seven-year-old boy for, who um, essentially was abused by his um, parents uh, uh, in a very small school in Coventry. Um, Daniel was attending and... Um, Eventually, he, he died from, from the abuse meted out by his, by his parents, the horrendous case. But that, that case was really important um, in kind of safeguarding terms because it, it actually led to a lot of change in the guidance. Um, so there was a serious case review. A serious case review identified lots of issues within the school in terms of how they were recording concerns and so on. That eventually led to very specific statutory guidance in keeping children safe. Um, which is the which is the you know and, and most most teachers most um, uh, people in education will know exactly what keeping children safe is is the is the kind of national statutory guidance in England. Yeah, <clears throat> and a lot of that came from that particular case. You know, a lot of that guidance came from from the Daniel Pelker case, and it, it was around. So almost it took it almost took something horrendous. I don't know why in the world this has yeah. to happen, but it almost takes something that bad to yeah. happen before things change and, um, exactly so so yeah. so it was it was around that time that this you know we'd had this conversation i had this conversation with helen I, I came back to the office and said to martin we've got to do something about safeguarding in schools because this is this is how uh, this is how they're recording their concerns and um and it really it started from there really we did we did a lot of research to begin with to understand um, you know what the guidance said. We we went and spoke to a lot of safeguarding leads in schools. Um, you know, so through Helen, we were able to kind of who was the head teacher at to the school where I was a school governor. We we were able to then to kind of reach out to a lot of people in education to understand how safeguarding should be done in schools. And um, and from there we kind of developed um, you know a, a, a specification for um, a safeguarding system. So that's that's where it started, and and it's called it's called my, it's called concern. my concern. Yeah, it's called my concern. And and it, that's uh, and I think I mean, your your the way you presented that was fairly modest because I think you've gone from obviously five six years ago a how many of you were literally there three or four of us um, because we Mar, Mar, and yeah. then now you're well how Martin many... and I Martin and I are obviously not we haven't got a software background so we're not technical um, so whilst we do understand a little bit about safeguarding. Um, we certainly are, are not. Uh, we've, 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 over the years, we have learned a lot more, obviously, <laughs> about about software yeah. <laughs> and technology. But we teamed up with a guy called Daryl Morton, who was running a, a company up in uh, Talbot Green near Cardiff, uh, called Logic Software. And um, and we, you know, we and that was quite. Once we once we'd had the initial conversation with Daryl, that happened really quickly. So we teamed up with Daryl and formed a company called One Team Logic. Uh, and from and from there, the, the the system was developed, obviously with Daryl's team, um, and we had it um, sort of ready ready for market, as it were, in the early part of 2015. Um, 
So like you say, at that point, there, there were probably in the company four or five of us. Uh, and now we've got um, well over 100 people uh, working for us in the, in the company. So it's grown very, very rapidly in uh, just five years. And would you say that is a reflection of the need for schools, that the system is actually you've built something that actually was 100% needed by schools and you're, you know, you're, there's, a, there's a huge value in, in the service. I think so. I, I mean, I think you know, a lot of it was about the timing. Um, I think we just happened to come across an issue which was very kind of, you know, very prevalent at the time. And uh, I mean, to begin with, yeah. when we first went out kind of talking to schools about safeguarding and the need for a safeguarding system, the kind of, you know, there was always quite a lot of discussion to try and convince them that there was a need, you know, um, and that's that's changed fundamentally over the last five years. I think most most schools will recognize that, you, you know, you, you need good systems in place to be able to manage safeguarding. Uh, some schools still persist with with a, um, you know, with a paper um, system for whatever reason. Uh, some of that might be down to cost or just preference or whatever. Yeah. Um, but even even if you've got a paper based system, you still need really good systems, you know, in place. You need good processes in place yeah. to manage safeguarding. That's that. That's the that's the key point. And of course, all of this guidance at yeah. the time and when we were introducing the system, all of this kind of statutory guidance was coming in. So Ofsted were, were going into schools and obviously then holding schools to account um, probably a lot more rigorous, rigorously than they were uh, in the past, given given the new guidance. And so that kind of coincided really with the with the launch of our system. And so, yeah, just I mean, to talk us through your system, how it works, uh, if you would yeah. mind. I mean, I think the the listeners out there, teachers, some of them, because I think how many schools are you uh, in? Now? About four and a half thousand. So yeah, so obviously you, there's there's a lot of coverage there, but for the for the schools that don't use your system that maybe interested, I mean, how does I mean, it essentially, work? Essentially, yeah, it's, it's um, mainly it's like a case management system. So what I mean is. It's a system which allows a member of staff in a school to be able to simply record a safeguarding concern. And it, it could be, I mean, schools use the system in slightly different ways. But so when we talk about a safeguarding concern, uh, we, we normally mean any concern that a, a member of staff might have about a pupil. So it could be a welfare issue, it could be a pastoral type issue, it could be you know, something a lot more serious, um, a child protection issue where you might have had a disclosure, for example. Uh, it might even be a behaviour type type issue. But but the idea and the kind of concept of the of the of the actual name, my concern, is that you know if you have got a concern, and this is the whole thing coming out of Pelka, if you have got a concern, you should be recording it um, because quite and it's not about yeah. necessarily pointing the finger at, at um, you know a particular individual or it's not about victimizing children it's not about um you know necessarily you know making an allegation of something serious it's about simply saying if you've got a concern about the welfare of a child you should be recording it and you can use this system to record it yeah even i guess even if it's not even if it turns out to be absolutely nothing which i guess quite yeah. a lot of them are at least it's been logged and but you know, that, that, that's exactly it. And of course, what you're trying to do is build up a picture of what's going on around a particular child or children. So if you so and, and yeah. it's kind of we refer to it as like low level concerns. So if you're if you're starting to build up a picture of low level concerns around a child, if those concerns are being reported by different members of staff in the same school, even if it's a relatively small school, 
it means that somebody at the center, the safeguarding lead, is able to see the, the whole picture, essentially, can see the whole child. So, uh, and the purpose of the yeah. system, essentially, is to prevent, you know, serious things from happening. So if you can get into a position where you're kind of then putting early intervention in place, you're starting to identify perhaps a particular, you know, series of concerns or a trend, you know, the system's going to make that a whole lot easier for you to, for you to manage. So, on, I mean, so, I mean, in this, no, sorry, I was just going to say, I mean, in terms of like recording concerns, it, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for people to be able to record a concern on the system because we obviously we recognize that that staff in, in schools are you know, working in very busy environments. So, what they don't want to be doing is spending lots of time, lots of time actually having to record things on a system which is cumbersome and difficult to manage. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I mean, that, that sounds great. The, um, I guess where this leads on to is obviously the, the current climate that we're in with teachers and with our own, with our own wellbeing business uh, and our wellbeing platform. Teachers seem like there's a, there is a huge need for, I mean, I think safeguarding and wellbeing, although very different, are, have some sort of oh, links yeah. together. Um, but, but what we're, what we're finding obviously is that teachers have very, very little time and even less time now. So, um, I even had a call yesterday with a, with a group of teachers, and they said they don't have time Where? to go to the toilet to a, yeah. to a level. So, so that so so time is obviously you know crucial, crucial obviously stress levels. So, I mean, what advice for safeguarding? If you could give maybe three, four tips to a school uh, or a teacher, um, what advice can you give over the, you know what's happening at the moment? Yeah, I mean, there's. Uh... It's interesting because particularly with the COVID stuff, I mean, you know, we've that's that's really kind of put uh, a lot of schools under, you know, a lot of, I say pressure. But it, I mean, particularly the safeguarding leads, I would say, in schools now are finding this, you know, this very challenging, I would say. I mean, we, you know, during during um, the lockdown period, I mean, we were getting calls from safeguarding leads who were very, very stressed you know, very, you know, really struggling with some of the challenges that were being thrown up. Because um, I'm guessing it, with COVID is just oh, bringing up more potential absolutely. concerns, aren't they? So, you know, there's lots of... Well, and I think the bigger... <laughs> well, throughout COVID, I think with the thing with schools, schools are right on the front line of safeguarding. I mean, that's, that's you know, they're, 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 they've probably got more contact with children and families than any other agency. So, of course, what happened during lockdown is that the schools were given that kind of responsibility to monitor vulnerable children during that period. Um, uh, and yeah. that, is a, that is an onerous responsibility for some schools, given some of the circumstances these, these, these kids are in. Um, and our safeguarding leads are, generally speaking, very, very dedicated to what they do. And they really felt that responsibility and, and the difficult that and the difficulties yeah. actually in being able to properly monitor some of these vulnerable children who are sometimes probably living at home in very very difficult circumstances where there may be you know um, domestic domestic abuse may be going on there may be you know where you've got um, alcohol issues mental health issues drugs drug issues and so on I mean these really really difficult situations. And schools, you know, taking their responsibility seriously, but then not being in a position or feeling that they're not in a position to properly monitor what was going on. And, you know, going several days without having contact with, with vulnerable children is, 
you know, quite a stressful situation to be in, isn't it? It's concern. Is it concern? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine, and and that's what I'm hearing as well from obviously from the conversations that I have with some of our potential clients uh, and schools that we're hoping to deal with is that you know they are struggling yeah. with that, and I guess we're looking now quite specifically at teacher well-being because I feel yeah. like <clears throat> schools are given the responsibility that they've got to yeah. be on that front line but actually if they don't have the resources yeah. um, all the time or the, the time pressures then actually they they probably become their mental health becomes a concern for themselves rather than yeah. <laughs> them sort of make you know caring for everybody else but yeah it's obviously a challenging scenario so i mean obviously your platform can help speed that process yeah. up i guess but you know what, what are your tips from all the, the i guess the experience from for you obviously going back to when you first started in the police as well yeah right? when you when you were one-to-one with yeah. some of these cases i mean i guess you can probably draw on oh yeah no, absolutely now, and i think you know oh, there's so many tips <laughs> to answer you but i suppose that, <laughs> but, but if you, you know thinking about it you know if we look at the basics, you know, getting things right, you know, on, particularly on the ground where you're kind of coming into contact with children and you've maybe, maybe even taking disclosures and having difficult conversations with children, I would say the most, most important thing is to listen. You know, it, it's, it's really, really important, that, you know, particularly now, because I think what's happening, particularly as now children are coming back into school following, following the lockdown, um, you know, what we're seeing is a big surge in mental health issues. Um, so th- there's no doubt whatsoever that, um, you know, you know the, the kind of last six months have had a, a, a really big impact on some children. And, um, and this will probably be the first time perhaps for some of those children that they've had a real opportunity to talk to a professional adult for some time. So I think, you know, staff, yeah. you know, need to be in a position, staff in schools need to be in a position, they need to be good listeners. I think I, 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 yeah, I would always say that that's a number one priority for a safeguarder. <laughs> because this might be the only, it might be the, yeah, yeah and it might be the only attention yeah. as well. So you're almost acting as a, a bit of a yeah. counsel as well as taking them. Taking and and children concern. know when you're not being, when they're not being taken seriously, don't they? I mean, um, so I think that's, yeah. I mean, I've learned that with my kids. <laughs> you, know, uh, you can't pull the wool over their eyes if they, if they, if they'll know if you're not listening. Um, so I think that yeah. trust thing um, is such an important thing. If, if you've got children coming into school that do want to talk about what may have happened to them, you know, whilst they've been away from school, um, you know, making as an adult being available and having that level of trust and uh, allowing children to be able to express themselves is probably the most important thing, I would say. Um, so that would be my number one yeah. tip. <clears throat> I think, secondly, yeah. you know, what I was always t- told um, when I was a young cop, um, <clears throat> when I, especially when I went on to CID, when I went on to CID, I was 21 when I went on to CID. So I'd, I had a lot to learn. I mean, I was really wet behind the ears. And, um, and my kind of, you know, uh, very wise detective constable, sort of tutor constable, said to me, "Always begin with the end in mind." Was his was the thing that always kind of kind of remained with me throughout my career. So, in other words, um, you just don't know where some of this stuff is going to end up. So, it's so important that if you are dealing with a safeguarding issue, that you're properly, for example, recording things. Um, because eventually you might end up in court, you might end up in a case conference, you could end up in an inquest, you might end up in some kind of other, you know, sort of legal proceedings. 
um, where you're having to recall events, you're having to give evidence, you're having to account for the actions that you've taken. So it's really, really important to kind of remember that. I mean, I got caught out a couple of times. I remember sort of, you know, when I, the first time I was in court, actually, in Crown Court. Um, and, you know, my notebook was just not, not really properly describing the, the events I was, I was kind of giving evidence around. And you just feel so exposed, you know. Um, and you realise that actually, you know, because if it's not written down, it doesn't exist. Is the is the best way to kind of think about this this stuff? So so just really accurate, accurate note taking, and that's and, not that's know, not yeah. kind of you need to be concise. Um, you're all very you know teachers are very professional, uh, you know, busy professional people. So it's not about writing war and peace, but it is about making sure that you're recording things. Uh, you know you know factually, you're recording them in the right way. You're being concise, but you're also being very thorough. Um, because that that uh, yeah. that is going to really really help you later on if you do end up in a situation where you're having to account for your for your actions, you know. So, so this is where the recording thing becomes critical, and that and that piece of that, you know, what yeah. you're recording may fit into a you know kind of bigger jigsaw uh, of what's going on in that child's life. You know, stuff that you may not be aware of, but other agencies, for example, uh, may be may have sight of, which suddenly then you're going to Mm. And I think that's quite key, isn't it? The other agency, because I think with your, uh, with the My Concern software, that links oh, with completely. other agencies, doesn't it? So actually, you might only be think you might feel like, well, actually, what's this? This doesn't really make a lot of sense. But when you fit it into another, yeah, ten pieces of information, it makes the it story does. really clear. Absolutely, and that that's that's so critical. And it's like you say, it's not just about the jigsaw in the school; it's about the wider the wider world. You know, the other agencies and the information they've got access to as well and how all that fits together um so you know so for me yeah. it's really important what seems to be like a minor issue or something that's very low level can suddenly turn out to be very important in that you know when you see that bigger picture so i would say i would say that would be my yeah and i guess I, and i guess and i guess with that's that right. sorry to interrupt but i'm just thinking of the, of the positive of this is that you if you do these things well then actually you're going to be uh, helping that child before things get to a yeah. stage which are too bad so you're actually you know you're creating a positive uh, that's exactly impact. it john and, and 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 for me the you know safeguarding is all about prevention it's you know it's about preventing those things from happening in the first place um you know so that's the, yeah. the most important thing so you know something that appears quite minor um could be could be really important for other people to know about um, and then they'll be in a position to um, yeah. hopefully pre prevent that thing from happening in the first place. And and all of, all of the serious case reviews, you know, and it's always easy in hindsight, isn't it, looking back and saying, oh, yeah, you know, we should have done this, we should have done that. But, you know, um, those serious case reviews are still happening. The same kind of issues are still appearing in the recommendations. And it always comes down to things like recording information, sharing information, you know, people not being aware of particular issues around a child or whatever, agencies not talking to each other, all that stuff in serious case reviews. Um, you know, and, and here we are. So, so it's just, it's just. Sorry, it, go on, John. <clears throat> yeah, no, I mean, it just, it's just so important, isn't it? I mean, I'm just thinking, for 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 me, from you know, from my knowledge of it, it it's a bit of an eye opener. And I guess from that's why you're 
you've take you take so serious because you've seen you have seen yeah. those horror stories i guess and um and i guess it's the obstacle tends to always mm. be time i find in in most things so you know if they don't if you don't have time to do it so whereas if you can do if you can find a, and obviously your software does this and this isn't a point this isn't just a a plug of your business but if you can find some a solution or a process that can record something accurately mm. and quickly then actually you're yeah. going to get more people doing it which i guess will just it will. help help and, the whole process i mean if you look if you think think now i mean the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse which is which has been going on now for a number of years is still still running obviously but the, one of the big challenges they've they've had is actually recovering data you know because they they they're investigating you know, um, allegations that go back over many, many decades. Um, so, so you know, actually, you know, trying trying to handle that stuff on paper, um, just in terms of the sheer volume, you know, you know, archiving and all of that, it's just impossible. So, um, and you know, my view has always been that <clears throat> actually, if you know, if you want, um, if you want to be in a position to be able to, you know, look at you know data over time there's only one way really to properly manage that um i mean one of the first schools we ever went into down in cornwall i'll never forget we were we were kind of martin and i were kind of just chatting to the safeguarding lead about their particular situation and we were talking about archiving and uh, they said that they had a, a child that had just recently transferred from the school up to up, up north somewhere and uh, they literally had two um sacks full of paper which had to be literally you know delivered um to the school up in wherever it was um you know because there was so much this child obviously had you know complex needs and you know there was kind of four or five years worth of of um records just huge huge amount of paper having to be you know delivered to this to this school you think well that's just crazy isn't it that's just for one child you know, and it's just, uh, and how how on earth? I mean, is the safeguarding lead that you know taking on all of that paper really going to read everything and take everything in? And it's just it's just a crazy notion, really, isn't it? You know, um, yeah, yeah, it is, and uh, and yeah, it's, thank thank God that the you know software is software is sometimes moaned frowned upon, but you know because there's too many logins and stuff like that. But I think actually. Oh, yeah. it does save us a lot of time i mean yeah so yeah moving on obviously you've you've listening obviously very 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 important um and recording by the sounds of it uh your key two have you got a fight uh, maybe if we <laughs> make it three three tips what would it be um <laughs> well, there's a number i could talk about i suppose but if, um i'm yeah okay well i mean if you've got if you've got three I'm... or four or five we've got time it's fine i think um i think it's really important because i think well we've i think well, the, that, i suppose uh, i'm trying to make the three make sense together need. so if you think about so we think about listening think about recording i say the next thing is communication um you know with you know so that's i would say more you know and generally communication within the school so i think that's really important and that 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 has to come from the leadership in the school as well so that's about encouraging people to um, discuss cases with each other when when it's appropriate. Um, it's about good. Um, it's about encouraging people in the right way um, to record to report things. It's about it's about giving staff, especially I think, confidence um, to report as well. Um, yeah, I was going to say that's oh, got to be really absolutely. important, and also the absolutely. time, I guess. 
And I think from a safeguarding with. leads point of view, sometimes it is kind of it's quite a tricky decision as to how much information do you kind of share with staff, um, particularly if it's you know you're quite often you're dealing with very sensitive uh, information, sometimes very confidential information. But at the same time, you know, it, you know, safeguarding is a team game. You know, you, you can't do safeguarding on your own. It's not a, about one individual trying to manage safeguarding in a school. It's about how the, the school as a team um, are kind of tackling safeguarding right across the board. So I think, you know, the level of communication that's needed to manage that team so that everyone's kind of clear about their roles and responsibilities, that they're clear about what they should do in certain circumstances, and they have the confidence to, you know, approach the safeguarding, need the confidence to report things and so on is, is critical. But I think then, then that communication kind of extends onto other agencies as well. Um, so having a relationship, you know, if you're a safeguarding lead in a school, you should be having a relationship with social care, with police and, what, and the statutory agencies, because those relationships are really, really critical when it comes to, again, uh, safeguarding those, those children, you know, uh, in, in, in certain situations. Yeah. Yeah. I guess getting the support, isn't it? Because... Because obviously, the, where the schools are at the front end of recording all of that, they can't actually physically go yeah, and help that child right. once they leave their gates, can they? So they have to have that close relationship with with outside authorities. I mean, in a way, though, I mean, if I was to think about those three things, they are the real. I would say the kind of real basics to safeguarding, and I, those are the three things that I probably applied throughout all of yeah. my policing career and throughout everything that I've done with One Team Logic. I would say those those three things. I mean, it is. I mean, you could almost uh, yeah. attribute those to other things in life, couldn't you? Because I think that is, you know, you've got to listen. I mean, listen accurately recording. Because how many times do they do say that uh, one of the most important uh, organ that you have, yeah. part of your body, are your ears? Um, and how we, and how often, you know, especially like mm. in the well-being and <laughs> counselling environment, it's one of the key things that you do is, you know, creating rapport yeah. by listening to people. So, you know, I think... I think that's obviously very key. And then making sure you accurately yeah, understand totally. what they're saying as well. Um, and I think that where, from, from my perspective, from, from this, obviously this safeguarding mm. is a huge, vital, you know, critical, critical part. But I think where I, what I struggle with, and I'm not a teacher, obviously we're, we're, we're in partnership with teachers and schools, but I'm not a teacher myself is actually, and what I, what I see is yeah. them having the time to do all of this. And I think that's the, and, and then allowing them the time uh, to do it. And also they're the container yeah. for these children's <clears throat> emotions. Um, mm. So they're taking them on themselves and then they've got to be able to deal with them. So there's a whole barrage of things that come totally. with, with that responsibility mm. of being in charge of safeguarding. And I think that's where the wellbeing side and yeah. the wellbeing support has to come in from the school um, and I, I then I guess then I feel for the, the heads and the senior leadership teams who have to yeah. manage the timetable that the, yeah. the, the, the school staff get their time to do all this because this yeah. is you know this is critical isn't it I mean safeguarding of children is, is really critical so they've got to do it but you know it's where it fits in within yeah, within their, and that, within that's a really day, good point, John, because, you know, lot, quite often the, the, the safeguarding responsibilities, particularly in a primary school, are normally undertaken by the assistant head or deputy head or even sometimes with the head teacher if it's a small, a small primary. I mean, where, where I'm uh, chair governors now, it's a, a small primary in Dorset and the head teacher is also the DSL. You know, she's also the safeguarding lead. So. So they've got all that responsibility, so all of that responsibility. and it's kind of tagged on the end I of mean, her yeah, just, job yeah. description, really. 
Um, do you know what I mean? And it's and it's. <laughs> Well, this is what this is. This is yeah. the same, you know, like with PSHE and you know, with the, you know, life skills and that with with children. It doesn't seem it, obviously the DfE are trying to push it through, and Ofsted are obviously saying yeah. that there's lots of mandatory stuff now where it wasn't previously. So, um, but for me, I feel that's all really important. But actually, they, you, you can't really shoehorn things in like this. You can't shoehorn in safeguarding, and you can't shoe shoehorn that sort of stuff in. So something else has to go. But then what else goes? And I guess this is the. The, the challenging question that I'm not going to no. solve, uh, you're not going to solve, but it's just a, it's a, an ongoing issue that um, I guess we're pushing, pushing to, you know, trying to trying yeah. to get PSHE out there and these types of things more out there and more time. Give it, give them more time at schools, but also allowing the teacher oh, to, completely. to have a healthy life. I mean, one of one of the, the biggest issues that and, cropped um, up during the yeah, I guess um, COVID nineteen for us is we, I mean, we were running like these weekly. Um, safeguarding support webinars for safeguarding leads every week and we were getting up to like 200 safeguarding yeah. leads on the on these webinar sessions and time and time again the issue of supervision and support emotional support came came up you know frequently um uh, you know and it's all all down to yeah. the fact that individuals are feeling under a lot of pressure obviously and that for some of them there's not a lot of outlet you know there's not a lot of um, places yeah. they can go to get support so yeah, amazing. And then on uh, the other end of the spectrum, you know, you might yeah. have a, you know, I was, I was talking to a, um, some large multi-academy trusts yesterday, talking to their safeguarding needs, and some of the support they're now putting in place for their safeguarding needs in the academy trust is amazing. You know, some really good stuff. You know, and um, you know, even even yeah. putting in, you know, even got their own ed psychs as well. You know, providing support uh, for children. Yeah, which which I think which yeah, which I think is 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 in those sizes oh, schools yeah. is almost it's, it's yeah. money well spent, isn't it? Because um, the resources that you would end up end up spending if you didn't have that. So, and I, unfortunately with COVID, um, I think mental health and all of that type of stuff was already quite a um, yeah. It was increasing, unfortunately, but I think only with what's happening now, it's gonna yeah. it is unfortunately going to get worse. And I think that's why safeguard. You just don't want we just don't want safeguarding or well-being type matters to get exactly. pushed to one side because there isn't enough time um but yeah i suppose on that i mean finishing up i mean is there for any teachers out there listening uh school leads head uh slt uh and heads where can they go to find um, they can they can go to our website um so www.myconcern.co.uk um so you can so you, you'll find us very easily um, online. Um, so we we do provide not just the software. So we we provide the software which is which is called My Concern, um, but also we we provide online training for safeguarding leads as well and for all staff. Um, so that's something we introduced back in September, which is um, you know uh, we're getting some very good feedback on 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 all of that. Uh, and we've also got a, a product called Sentry, which is our uh, single central. Uh, register as well which manages safer recruitment so that's a that's another product which um you know schools maybe may be interested in so um but yeah you can find us very easily online yeah okay well, okay great i mean what i'll do is i uh, they all that detail will be put on the show notes uh on the podcast page so yeah you can click down and have a look at that um I think that's really, really helpful. Uh, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate you coming on and 
giving us some insight into your business. Uh, no, and and uh, very grateful for being so asked to come you. on, John. And it's, uh, yeah, really enjoyed the session. Thanks very much. You have been listening to the Become Inspired podcast by Life on Time. For more information, please visit our website at lifeontime.co.uk.